0: Through this section, we're going to look at in a few moments First uh, Peter, Second Peter, rather this week, and that thought kept coming back to me: input, output. And then I realized that really most of the Bible is written around that kind of a theme. Seldom are we taught something, something that we are to just know, that is not to have an output, something that we do. So. Paul's writing is full of that. If you look at, for instance, the book of Ephesians, the first three chapters, he tells us about all of the riches that we have in Christ, that we're seated together with Christ in the heavens. And then he opens chapter four with this. He says, now walk worthy of your calling. In other words, live it out. The output of all of the riches that we have is to be seen in the conduct of our lives. Well, I hope you see that with me this morning in uh, 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll go into it in just a moment. If you don't have a Bible with you, I happen to look it up. It's page 1397 in the seat in front of you. So you better contract with me this morning and see where I'm going. In 2 Peter 3, as we read through it, we're going to be taught some things very specifically about the coming of Christ. But he doesn't leave it there. He tells us there are certain things that should follow from us. There should be output as a result of what we learned there. If, if you had to pick one key word, stay in Second Peter 3 for a minute, but if you had to pick one key word out of Second Peter, I think it's the word no. And reading through it, I believe I found it 16 times, some form of the verb to know in 2 Peter. And so you see repeatedly that there are things we are to know. The knowledge of what the Lord has done for us and the knowledge of his plan for our life is really important for us to know. But he never leaves it there. That we're is the end and the end all be all when that's all we need. It's always that we know in order that we can live that out. And I think you see that. Let me read a little bit out of the first chapter. Just to, to get our minds tuned to this uh, frequency. And then we'll come back to chapter 3. But I'm reading out of chapter uh, 1, actually, 2 Peter 1, starting in verse 2. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. As his divine power has given us all things as pertains to life and godliness, there is that word again, through the knowledge of him who called you, or called us, by glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding and great promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also for this very reason, to give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness, Love, For if these things yours in abound, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you see it there? That the knowledge is to produce something. And the outgrowth of that knowledge is to be that we're becoming more like Christ. And it's reflected in our life. We're going to read from Second Peter and listen as as I read it and see if you track. I have a very simple outline. See if you can track my outline as I read through it. You know, it is said that uh, Harry Ironside, who's one of my very favorite spiritual heroes, Harry Ironside was a uh, well-known pastor, did a lot of writing, Pastor of the Marie Memorial Church in the last century. And Ironside had a style that he, it was termed uh, a running commentary. And saying would just go through Scripture, and if you read this books, that's exactly what it is. He'd go through Scripture, and he'd simply comment as he went. And that's sort of what we're going to do this morning as we go through uh, this chapter, 2 Peter 3. And uh, we we'll make no apology for that. We we'll follow with the steps of the very Side. Why don't we Father, we believe that we have in our hands your word. We believe it to be truth. And Lord, the promises that you've given us, we believe, will come to pass. Encourage us this morning, Lord, through your word. Overcome the inadequacies of presentation and maybe the lack of vocabulary. Lord, that your spirit can speak through that. couple opening verses, of so introduction, and then in the third and fourth verses, there are some accusations that come from a group of people who were scholars. They didn't believe anything that the Apostle was teaching. And Peter gives very direct answers to their accusations. Starting in verse 5 and following, down to about verse 10, you hear the answers of the Apostle. So first is the accusations, listen for them, you have to listen carefully, and then you will find the answers that the Apostle gives, and then the good thing about this chapter is that built right into it are the applications, so how do we live that out? Well, I think it tells us exactly how to live it out, so listen for those things as we read. And I have to call your attention to the very first word, Beloved, now I write to you this second epistle. In both of which, both epistles, I stir up your pure minds by way of reminder. Peter is writing (coughs) to a group of people who are very dear to him. Uh, Four times in this passage, he uses the word beloved. And you sense that you're hearing the heart of a shepherd as he's writing these things. And my mind goes back to you. Remember the last conversation, personal conversation, that Peter would have had with Christ. We see it recorded in John 21. And uh, Christ said, Peter, do you love me? And Peter responded, yes. And he said, what? Do yes. what he said next? Christ said, feed my sheep. And three times, uh, Peter is instructed to feed Christ's sheep. And when I read this passage, I see that's exactly what he's doing this is the heart of the shepherd who's feeding Christ's sheep. He's encouraging them. He's giving them truth that will enable them to work through difficult days in their life. And all of us have difficult days. They were having difficult days. All around them there were people who were either apathetic to the truth. We wouldn't have any of that today, would we? Or secondly, they stopped the truth. They didn't believe it. And so, Peter starts with that term of endearment, with that affection, beloved, and he uses it repeatedly. In verse 2, he's writing these things so that you could be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. He mentions the Old Testament, the prophets, and then the apostles, the New Testament. He says, we all spoke to you about these things. Now listen, here comes the stalkers. Knowing this first, that stalkers will come in the last days, walking according to their own lusts, and say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. And Peter is going to answer them. For this they willingly forget, these scoffers chosen to forget, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, by which the world that then existed perished, being flooded with water. But the heavens and the earth which are now preserved by the same word are reserved for fire until the day of judgment, the perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, do not forget this one thing that when the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. Then in verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come. As a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, the elements will melt with fervent heat, and both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, here's the application, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God? Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, look forward to these things. Be diligent to be found in him in peace without spot and blameless. And consider that the long suffering of our Lord is salvation. And what follows here in these next couple of paragraphs is really a parenthesis because he's going to reference back to the writing of Paul. So if we read it, Speaking of them, uh, speaking in them of these things in which some things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable men twist to their own destruction, as they also do the rest of the scriptures. And I have to pause there long enough to say it's interesting that Peter, referencing the writings of Paul, calls them scripture. He recognized that God had moved Paul. To write these things and he equates them with the rest of the scripture you see that and and so after that parentheses he goes back to the application you therefore beloved since you know this beforehand beware lest you fall away from your own steadfastness being led away with the error of the wicked but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. And I probably can say amen and sit down, but I won't. Uh, let's go back and look at these and think through those uh, little sections. First, the accusations that the scoffers made. I see two things in particular that they said. Did you see it? Particularly uh, you see it in verse 4. They say. Where's the promise of his coming? And I think what they're saying is that you guys have been saying this all along. You can hear that today, can't you? For 2,000 years, you Christians have been saying Christ is coming back. For crying out loud, you get off of that thing. We don't believe that. And, and that's what they're saying. They're saying because of the time lapse, and because they expected Christ to come right away, they were waiting day to day. And because of the time lapse, these scoffers, the unbelievers, said, It's not going to happen. This time that has passed shows that it's not going to happen. And then they point to a second thing. They says that all things continue as they were from creation. And what they're saying is that every day the sun comes up sun goes down. And then another day comes, and what happens? The sun comes up, and the sun goes down. And next year, and the year after, the sun's going to come up, and the sun's going to go down. And so the accusation is twofold. First, they say, so much time has passed, you can't still believe this. And the second thing they say is that nature just continues. It keeps going like it always has, and you can't really believe that God's going to intervene. And Peter answers their question very directly, and he answers them not only the questions that they ask, but things that are implied by it. And if you look at these next verses, starting in verse five, you'll you'll see his answers. And we're just going to go through it verse by verse and see how he answers it. Look at verse five. He said that God spoke this world into existence. That is so enormously important. Because if God spoke this world into existence, and He did, then who is this world accountable to? It's created, right? And if God did not speak this world into existence, then I can escape. I'm not really accountable to anybody because it just happened. So, the first point he makes is that God is the one who spoke this world into existence. And you're saying the sun comes up, the sun goes down. Well, how about the flood? How about when God intervened in history at a point in time with Noah's flood? Does that show that maybe? God can intervene in mankind's history. So you see how he's answering their questions point by point by point he's going through and refusing the accusations they have. So uh, they forget willingly. They've chosen to forget because by choosing to forget it takes away the responsibility and they can follow their own desires whatever their heart desires. They can follow because they have no accountability and never will to God. You know, I suspect that all of us think alike in this. Hope we do. My whole being cries out for justice in this world. Uh, you understand what I'm saying? Is that there are so many inactive. And there have been through history. And if there's never a settling of those inequities, if there's never a time where those things are called to judgment, then it leaves me feeling very redeemed. And what he's saying here is there is a time coming when God's going to call all of these inequities, all of the injustice to the forefront, and they're going to be settled. And that's yet coming folks. And does your heart cry out for that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Isn't it right that that come yet? Well, <laughs> read on. The world that exists and then perish. Then, verse 7. But the heavens and earth that are now are preserved by the same word. The word that created, just by the power of his will, that created this world. The word that brought about the flood, the same word, is preserving the earth we live in now. He's the one that's keeping this thing together until his appointed time. And then uh, he continues to say that there's coming a time when this earth is going to be purged and purified. Now, I'll confess to you that I don't understand everything about end times. Uh, neither do you. Just to set the record straight. <laughs> but one thing I do know that there is coming a point in God's history, in God's plan, in the day of the Lord, when this earth is going to be changed. It's going to be purged of all that's wrong, and that only thing left is going to be with right. Uh, you know, if I. I like life. You know, Myrna and I walk by the garden pretty much every evening. And I I'd love to go back and <coughs> watch things grow. She started picking tomatoes this week. You know what that means? Just in the last day or two, uh, Karen and Larry brought us some tomatoes, and they started the flood. Because they're after when the tomatoes garden, and they just keep coming. But isn't it fun to walk back through the garden Pick the cucumbers and pick the tomatoes. Look at the corn. Pick all the things that are ripening. And all part of God's system. It's all part of this nature that God has created. And wherein things just grow because of the seed that goes in the ground. Because of his plan. It's all because of God. And if you can walk through the outdoors on a day like this and not see God... You need to open your eyes. You need to open up because you see His handiwork everywhere. And and one of these days, all of the the inequities, all of the things that are troubling about this earth, are going to be gone. He continued through his arguments. He said, The Lord isn't slack concerning His promise. You know, mankind uh, is geared to a clock. Most of us can tell you what time it is within a couple of minutes at any point during the day. Our minds are geared to a clock. God isn't bound by a clock. I read someone's commentary on this, and they said, God is never tardy. That God works on His time frame, not mine. And I like that. God's never a target. God is bound by an eternity and it's boundless. God is infinite and God is eternal. And our little finite minds can't get outside of those 24 hours and these 70, 80, years that we live. We, we are bound to a clock. God is not. And that's exactly his argument. He's saying, folks, God doesn't move in his eternal domain, and he will decide. And not only that, he says it's because of his patience that he's waiting. Did you see that? It's because of his patience, because he wants people to be saved. That's why he's waiting. It's so people will come to faith, and people will know him. And so it's an act of grace that God is waiting. And, and then, uh, Look at verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found in him or by him in peace without spot and blameless. And then he continues to talk about the output part of this. I think the input is this. Folks, one of these days, Christ says it is going to happen. In fact, I love the one little phrase uh, in verse 10. He says, the day of the Lord will come. And I like that. It's just the absolute statement. The day of the Lord will come. And so, to those who would either be apathetic toward it or disbelieve it, I would say to you, the day of the Lord will come. It's coming. And he doesn't depend on your belief he's coming. And you can disbelieve it all you want, he's still coming. Uh, He doesn't depend on you and your faith and your confidence for his time frame. So, the the first wrong response is to ignore or disbelieve it. But then I think there's a second one. And I like this quote by Warren Wiersbe. Wiersbe said that the purpose of prophetic truth is not speculation, but what Is that like William Miller, who said a day in 1842, I think it was, he said Christ was coming back on March 21st, 1844. He's gone. Well, we have no authority to do that. And that's a dangerous thing to do. Incidentally, he changed his dates at least three times. Then there was the Nassau uh, scientist who wrote a book, which I think I read at the time, 88 Reasons Why Christ is Coming in 1988. Was he right? I don't think so. I think he was entirely wrong. So the, the two extremes are one for us to speculate and set dates. The second extreme, and much more dangerous perhaps, is just to ignore it or be it or disbelieve it. And But I think there's also a right response. three things that are really important for us. The first is, listen now, is that all of us need to be sure of our own salvation. Because when Christ comes, we are going to face him. Or perhaps if we go to be with him before he comes, we're going to face him. And we need to be sure that we face him as our Savior and as the Lord of our and if there's anyone that's never placed their trust, their faith in Christ at all, you need to do that. And that, I think that's the first thing. That the great truth that goes out of this is that the day of the Lord will come, folks. It's coming. I don't know how soon. I just know it's coming, and we need to be ready. And so that's first to be sure of our salvation. But I think there's a second. Thing. And that is, I think we need to tell others. If we love Jesus, I think we need to tell people around us that we love Jesus. If we believe Jesus is coming, we, we probably need to tell people around us that Jesus is coming. At the very least, we need to tell them that someday they're going to be in his presence, either as Savior or as Judge. And that, I think, is an absolute. That's going to happen. And it doesn't depend, again, on whether we believe it or not. And and then, the third thing I see out of this, and I think that's this whole passage, is that live like we're going to be in His presence. Did you notice that last verse? But growing the grace and knowledge, knowledge is important, of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. this. Yes.